Just beautiful. Why don't we just do that for a second? Why don't we just be still for a second? You know, I don't know if you do this often, but just a, a breathing exercise. You just breathe in through your nose. Fill up those lungs, deep belly breathe, and just let it all out. Can you just, just take a moment here? challenge. Just be still in this moment. How much stillness do you got in your life? Glad you're here with us in the spiritual gym this morning. Whether you're here in person, more and more people showing up on Sundays, and or you're watching uh, or listening to the podcast, we're just glad you're tuning in and prioritizing your journey. It's healthy. Look, at, I, I want to just make a little public service announcement. We do this from time to time, just let you know what's going on kind of in behind the scenes. Alita's going to be coming up here shortly and talking about money and charitable giving. It's really an opportunity every week. People have to, you know, we remind them, you know, and thank them for, for your generosity and support of this community. But every now and then you'll hear us get up and say, hey, look, at, we're a little behind this year. And we're projecting this kind of picture at the end of the year, and everyone pulls out their checkbooks and kind of shores up the system. We've been in that kind of place for a while now, truthfully. Uh, the economic downturn, the pandemic has been a, a few kicks. We're not alone. There are many organizations, especially not-for-profits, that are struggling in these times. And we're not immune to it. We're grateful for all the generosity that are of our community, but we're always looking for additional revenue streams that can help shore up this organization so we can stay focused on making our world a little better. I mean, truthfully, if we had a little bit more money, Man, we would love to be able to initiate more efforts into our community to help people that are on the borderlines of difficult times. We're seeing opportunities every day. We're going, man, if we had some money to infuse in that or to help that cause, the things that we could do with a little more. Last year, we had some lighting fail, and that almost created some problems because we're trying to stream online. You don't have lighting. You know, you're looking on the TV, and you're trying to make out Vince up on stage, you know? Uh, and so we had to raise some extra funds. It was kind of like, thankfully, a donor stepped up. But there's all kinds of different equipment that's been failing for a while. We've had to withhold upgrading and children's resources downstairs switch. There's just a number of different places where we're going, man, marketing. We would love to put more effort into marketing and money into it because there's so many people desperately looking for a friend's church. And we just, it's hard getting out there and helping them see it. It's what money could do, right? Anyways, for the last about 10 years, we've been batting around this idea of applying for a casino license, which would allow us to be able to, like many not-for-profits, send an army of volunteers in on a weekend and serve. Basically, for those that maybe aren't familiar with casinos, this is what they do. They support local not-for-profits. The not-for-profits provide people, which help in the money collection and the counting and all that process, and then they kick back funds to those local organizations. We've been batting around this idea as an organization for a long time. Obviously, it has its detractors. Gambling is a problem for many. For some, probably, you know, there's a lot of research done that shows that there are some people who would attend those things that have problems with gambling. We get that. 
But Friends Church has never shied away from controversial subjects. I remember when we introduced alcohol and wine on Christmas Eve, and we had people saying, what are you doing? Do you realize there's people that have addiction issues? And we're going, yes, we are aware of that. And we're not encouraging problem drinking, but we're acknowledging that this is a complexity. For some, it's a problem. For many, it's not a problem. So we're asking people to use discretion in this thing. We've had, a, I mean, you could go right down the line to providing food. Food has been a problem for many people. Well, how can we serve food in the social hall? I mean, we went through the gamut of, organ, you know, all the different wrestling that goes through a decision like this. We put it out to our, some of our core members in our community, and we had, it wasn't unanimous, but we had an overwhelming support for the idea, acknowledging that there are many funds that are being funneled into a lot of great causes around the city. But our core community said the good that we could do with the money that we would get from one of these things would be maybe a little arrogant, we're thinking, but we're thinking we could do so much better with that money than many of the organizations that are getting money. All right? So anyways, we went back and forth. We said, all right, we're making the decision. And we said, let's just apply and see if we'd get it. Well, we applied, and overwhelmingly, the JGLC came back and said, you guys completely qualify. You're doing some great things in our world. So we said, let's go for this. So two years ago is when we applied. We got accepted. The pandemic slowed down the process, but just in December, we were awarded our first casino, which will take place this coming May, May 27th and 28th, Friday and Saturday. The funds that we will raise from this casino will be significant. And they will help us build a sustainable picture here. And rather than hopefully getting to a place where rather than we're we're just trying to solicit extra funds at the end of the year to pay bills, we're soliciting funds to say, look, we've got four big projects that we want to make a difference in our world with. Would everyone pull out their checkbooks for that? That is the vision that we have going forward. So anyways, we know that this will not be met with unanimous support. We know there will be some in this community that will say, hey, I don't want any part of that. That's fine. We totally understand that. But we want to be transparent. We're not wanting to hide anything that we're doing. We want our community to know exactly what we're doing and why we're doing it. We invite the conversations. And we're hoping that within a community our size, we'll have enough people to be able to fuel it up with horsepower and make it work. And we think in the long term, Friends Church is going to make our world a lot better. So anyways, that's all I have to say, Alita. Good morning. Welcome, Friends Church. Uh, My name is Alita, and I'm part of the charitable giving team here at Friends. And so I'm here to talk about the different ways that, until we do that, get that casino. We have a lot of ebbs and falls in in our uh, finances at Friends Church. So first of all, thank you to all of those who have given and who do give. Um, By all means, we have opportunities on our website. We have the app, which is 
fantastic. Uh, we really like it when people are able to um, do pre-authorized giving because that let, gives us a little idea of how much is coming in each month and gives us an idea of what you can plan for. If technology isn't your thing, we have the black box at the back where you can drop some cash or a check and fill out um, a paper to get a tax receipt. And so thank you to all those who do give. And if you haven't given yet, then maybe you can consider that. And if you um, are not in a place to give right now, um, then that's okay. We understand that too. Traditionally, about this time of year, we do take a dip in finances. So if you haven't been involved in charitable giving, we'd love that if you could help us out. Um, after the service today, we have discussion group happening. So if you're someone who would like a little more conversational context about what we're talking here, maybe you have some questions or you'd like to share or a little bit, know a little bit more about um, the spiritual journey here at Friends Church, then that'll be happening right after the service just at the back here of the hall. We invite you to join. Thanks, Alita. Okay. Have you guys had enough talking heads? Jeez. Um, anyone really upset because we don't have much snow these days? Thank you. This warm weather, you know, double digits, stupid sun. <laughs> okay, today I want to start with a story. It's actually not my story. It's not Jeff's story, but Jeff told it. So I just want you to sit with this story for a second and kind of see what your reaction is. It's a friend of his. Guy comes out in the morning one winter, it's cold out. Again, this is my memory of the story, so it could be a completely different story, bear with me, my story's better than his story, whatever. The guy comes out, goes, sticks his key in his car, and goes to turn it. What does it do? <laughs> Luckily, it's the weekend, Sunday morning, so he looks over and he sees his neighbor opens up the garage door, and he's like, oh, sweet. I can get a boost and you know, get on with my day, get my car fixed, I'll be ready to go for Monday. And so he walks over to his neighbor's house and says, hey, can you come give me a boost? And the guy's like, yeah, no. No, seriously, like my car, it's got a dead battery, can you just give me a boost? And the neighbor says, uh, yeah, no, I can't, we're gonna be late for church. What does that do? I'll, I'll give you the PC version of my response. Seriously? You can't take two bloody minutes to go over and jump your partner or your neighbor's battery because you're going to be late for church? Seriously? This last week or so, we did something we don't normally do. We don't normally engage in the news. But I woke up one morning, flipped over my phone, and there's a news story saying there was a, a Baptist community in the city who had just voted to say, we aren't going to allow the LGBTQ members of our community to hold membership. Again, I'll give you the PC version. Seriously? We sent out a press release because we were going, okay, I want people who don't fit church to realize this is not the only expression. 
There's a place like Friend Church, there's many churches, but Friend Church is a place, it doesn't matter who you love, what gender you identify with, how many people you love, any of that. It just doesn't matter. When the news came, they asked if they could interview us, so I said, okay, yeah, for sure. (laughs) And of course, of the 10-minute interview, they used the first part where I was like, seriously? (laughs) It's 2022, how are we even talking about this shit? Pardon my French. (laughs) But our reaction is what I want to get to. I see profoundly spiritual people doing things that I just go, seriously? Parents disowning their kids. Families broken apart. People saying one thing on a Sunday and then completely living a different way on Monday through Saturday. And I don't know what your response, but do you have those moments where you're kind of going, seriously, what is going on here? How is it that beautiful, loving people can behave this way in the name of religion. Today, the message is going to be a cautionary tale. I want to show you one way you can get to those kind of behaviors without even paying attention. If you're not kind of watching where you're going, it's kind of like you can slide into that. But I also want to do one other thing. I want to attempt to create empathy in your heart for those people. Not the LGBTQ community, of course. I feel profound empathy. That is our community. But I want to see if I can create empathy for the Baptists who said you're not welcome. That's the tough part, isn't it? I'm going to back up. I grew up in a very traditionally religious family. It was in a Christian tradition, a very particular Christian tradition, but it started off with this conception of God, and it always seems like it starts there. And be very, I'm being very careful with my language, conception of God. I'm not saying that is what God is. I'm saying it's a conception of God. That is a separate thing. A couple weeks ago, Jeff brought out this idea of transcendence, that which is beyond the physical. And in that transcendence idea, there's all kinds of things. We're going to talk about that more next week. But there is this concept of or conception of God that many of us grew up with, many of us inherited, many of us learned from Homer Simpson on The Simpsons. Anyone learn their conception of God from Homer? It's so funny. When you see Homer, God is always like three times taller than him, and they never show God's face, and they walk together, right? And he's always wearing Birkenstocks. What's up with that? I don't know. Conception of God. What we're trying to do is we're trying to help you divorce this idea that how I conceive of God, the more than any of that language, isn't the definition of God. It is a conception of God. That's really important. But if you grew up with a conception of God, a very particular conception that I grew up with, this is the conception. The idea starts off with, and it's, it's from an argument from a guy named Paul. He says, all have sinned. 
I'm going to paraphrase here. And my conception of God is God hates sin. So what do we have for the first conception here? We are all sinners, worms and dirt. God is this entity that's separate from us that doesn't like sin. Can you feel that shift? That's why Homer is like a third of the size of God. And here's where it starts to get really tricky. And here's where the... I can use slippery slope from the stage at Friend Church. I feel kind of dirty that I just said that. The slippery slope, if you're not paying attention, is if you conceive of God this way, things get really tricky because if that God, that conception of God, doesn't like sin and you sin, what happens? You get sent to this kind of conception called hell. When we were kids, they would take a candle and they'd put our hands over top of it and you'd feel it burning and they're like, that would be for eternity. It was pretty effed up. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. I was part of this whole like shock and awe fear thing around hell. But think about it. If there's this thing called hell, and if it is a lake of fire that you're going to go in and burn for eternity, not for 10 seconds, eternity, do you want to go there? Anyone? So if this is all based on I sin, I piss off this conception of God, that conception of God sends me to hell for eternity, what do I not want to do? Piss off God. Again, conception of God, right? When we have a conception of God like this, the risk is, it's not always, but the risk is we live in fear. If I don't go to church, that might piss off God, and I'm going to go to hell. So when my neighbor says to me, can you be late for church and boost me? Two hours of inconvenience, burning in hell for eternity? Uh, duh. Of course I'm not going to boost you. Why would you even be asking me that, you selfish Can you see it? The Baptist community, and again, I am not a Baptist scholar, so if there's a way through the Baptist tradition that I don't understand, please send it to me. Again, this is not my area of expertise. But one reading seems to be that if we embrace those inside of our community that love people of a gender that we think somehow is the wrong gender or the wrong genders or the wrong number of people or express ourselves in the wrong gender any of those and combination of those, we will piss off God. And we risk burning in hell for eternity. Can you see now why some people are in this profoundly troubled place? If I love people the way I maybe want to love them, What if that means I go to hell? The part that the the news didn't show of the interview with me was me going, man, if I was the Baptist community right now, what a brutal place to be in. How do we balance love and fear? 
How do we balance our kids and our sisters and brothers and our families and our friends and hell? Oh, man. Some have asked, what would you do to protect someone you love from going to burn in hell? And again, this is a conception. I'm not saying this is reality. But if you believe in a God or conceive of a God that when you sin will send you to hell for eternity, what would you be willing to do to protect the people in your life from that? I think about kids running out into traffic, you know, little kids, little toddlers. You know, as a parent, you will scream at that kid to stop, right? Like, top, you will grab the back of their shirt and, like, haul them out of traffic to protect them. If you think of their actions through this conception of God as risking burning in hell, does it make sense now why some people behave the way they do? Again, I don't agree. I don't conceive of God that way. But when I look through that lens in their life, I go, oh, I have empathy for that now. When you look at our spiritual model, hey, Mike, can you throw up that image for me? You look at our spiritual model that we've been exploring lately. It starts with awareness. Now, just let me say, someone gave me a shout out the other day. He's like, Vince, your model's wrong. It, it probably is wrong. It's the current model I'm playing with. Next week, I reserve the right to change the model. Two months from now, I reserve the right to say this is all garbage. We're going to talk about a new model. It's just the thinking right now that's getting us thinking deeply about this. It starts with awareness. It says, wait a second. You know, as a two-year-old or as a one-year-old, the first question you ask is, who am I? A, A couple months ago, I tried baby food for the first time. That stuff is disgusting. I'd never tasted it before, and I was like, how, if you were a baby, but babies are going, no, I don't like carrots, I like peas, right? Who am I? This is a lifelong journey. Me and my partner right now, through all this work, are starting to go, okay, wait, if I had it all my own way in this moment, what would I do? It's the question, who am I? It's beautiful. If you can't figure out who am I, a lot of this stuff's gonna be really tough for you. It's been tough for me. Growing up, I was taught that who am I in intimate relationships is the wrong question. It's what can you give? But here's the piece of the puzzle that's really fascinating. You can reach out to transcendence from any place in this model. But here's the deal. What happens when you reach for transcendence, reach for something more, conceive of divinity, whatever that means to you, just through I? Or in service of I? Friend of, actually, no, let me tell it this way. Anyone podcast um, Radio Lab? Anyone in Radio Lab listeners? Fantastic podcast through the years. They had this spin-off series called Unerased. It was a podcast about Christian gay men who went to therapy to try, and I'm going to quote someone here, beat the gay out of them. Oh, even as I say it, I can feel my heart just like feels... People saying, my conception of God hates my sexuality. My sexuality. 
And so I'll spend years, decades, voluntarily submitting myself to try and beat the gay out of me so that God will like me. People voluntarily doing this because their conception of God is so powerful. Their desire to connect with something more is so powerful that all they can see is, I will do this horrible thing. And again, this is my judgment on it. Conversion therapy, horrible. I will do this horrible thing to try and make sure my conception of God doesn't hate me. But it's all based on I. Mike, can you throw it back up once more for me? It's based on I. I don't want God mad at me. I don't want God to see my sexuality and be like, oh, I don't like that kind of sexuality. To hell with you. It's disturbing. The other side of it is, when you look at people, they're going, I don't want to go to hell, so I'm going to behave a certain way. I'm going to talk to people a certain way. I'm going to say certain people are in, certain people are out. I'm going to do all kinds of things because I don't want to go to hell. This is what I believe. I'm going to go to hell if this happens, and I don't want that. Awareness has raised people to the point of who am I and how do I connect myself with divinity, and it all becomes about me, and the word they use is salvation, my salvation, a.k.a. no burning in hell. Naturally, I think we all have some of that in us. Just for some of us, it kind of stays there. It becomes the primary mode of connecting with transcendence. But it makes sense why we do some of the things we do in our world. Awareness at some point says to us, Okay, who am I? Got it. And then who are they? I was at decidedly jazz, decidedly jazz dance, right? Was that right? Dance works. So they have a, a, a building on 12th Ave, and they had this show where they do a show in the window, and you drive your car into the parking lot. So for one date night, me and Ella drove up to the parking lot and sat there. It was lovely. We got there a little early, turned on some jazz music. I'm not a jazz fan. Sorry, no disrespect to jazz lovers. Can't get it. Don't understand that stuff. Anyways, we're sitting there having this beginning of this date, and this couple walks in front of us. There's a girl and a guy. Girl's about 10 feet in front of the guy. And (laughs) we're inside our car. I can't hear what they're saying, but she's screaming at him. And then stomping away, and he does this thing where he's kind of like following her like this, and he's like, and they're they're doing this whole fight in front of us, and I'm I'm looking at it, and as they finally get away, me and Ellie are both kind of like doing one of these, like ah, that feels horrible, and as they kind of finally left, we both laughed in this uncomfortable way of just trying to get the tension out, and I was like, holy crap, that is a couple who conceives of their relationship as I against them. My partner is my enemy, and I'm going to beat them up. And they're going to try and grovel back to make me happy. Anyone see any relationships conceived of his eye against them? Oh. Awareness says, 
At some point, we go, we figure out, okay, who am I? Then we figure out there's someone over there, and they're different than me, and they want different things, and I can conceive of it as I against them. That's fairly straightforward. That's the decidedly jazz couple. But I can also have it conceived this way. We. How do we create what's good for I and good for them and bring it together and try and balance that? But you see, when we conceive of spirituality and we're stuck in the I, we don't even conceive of them. Can you see how it can go to a dark place? It doesn't always. I know people in my life who conceive of transcendence in this conception of God and are beautiful people. I've never been able to do that. Some people can do it. For me, I have to go to we. Because transcendence has a different flavor now. For some people, they're saying, hey, look, I grew up in a biblical upbringing. This conception of God you talk about makes sense to me because I grew up with that. I've seen it in culture. Homer Simpson taught that to me. But Vince, that is God. Duh. So I want to share a story from Jesus who takes what we saw at the first. I, so transcendence in service of I. A friend of mine comes to me the other day, calls me up. He's like, Vince, I messed up. I need to talk to somebody. I was like the third person on the list. <laughs> There's two people you couldn't get a hold of that were smarter than I was. He'd been reading about the Holocaust. It's always brutal. He says, Vince, there was a, a regiment of men and their job, there's three of them every day, they took 300 women and children into the forest and killed them. Jews. Every day they'd get a new 300 group of women and children, they'd take them into the forest and kill them. And they'd do this until they lost their mind and then they'd bring in new soldiers and they'd do it again. He's like, Vince, like, what the hell? His language was, if God, so the Jews in his mind were God's people, if God, if this is God's people, where the hell was God? How did God allow 300 women and children to be taken into the forest every day and killed? How does that happen? He was just like, I'm out. Like, if this is what's going on in this world, I'm out. I said, how do you conceive of God? And he talked back and forth. At one point he said, it's almost like I see God as my big older brother who kind of like finishes the fight when I can't beats people up when I can't beat them up, takes care of me when, when I struggle. It, it, it's this conception of God that says it's in service of I and it makes sure my life gets better. But if he held that conception of God, he's like, I can't have anything to do with God. Transcendence, I'm done with it. So I said, what if... What if your conception of God looked more like this? There's a story. Jesus tells it. Um, it's, uh, I think it's a metaphor. 
Jesus often will tell a story and it's not a real story. He's just telling a story like an object lesson. So don't take this literally. Take this metaphorically. Mike, can you throw up the first line for me? He says there's this king in this mythical story and there's a bunch of people in front of him. And he says to those on his right who he calls sheep, enter you who are blessed by my father. Take what's coming to you in this kingdom. It's been ready for you since the world's foundation. I'll kind of give you the short answer. It's the Homer Simpson heaven. You on the right, go to heaven. And then he says this, because I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was homeless and you gave me a room. I was shivering and you gave me clothes. I was sick and you stopped to visit. I was in prison and you visited me. Think about I and them. What behaviors are we seeing from the sheep? There's a sense of you're hungry and I can help. Not I against you. It's, it's, there's a sense of we here, isn't there? Now here's the crazy part. Can you throw the next line up for me? Then the sheep are going to say, Master, I have no clue what you're talking about. We've never seen you before. Besides, you're the king. If I fed you, I would know. Then the king says, I'm telling you the solemn truth. Whenever you did one of these things to someone overlooked or ignored, the classic language is the least of these. You did it for me. Can you see the conception of the divine starting to shift here? When you love the person around you, there's something beautiful there. There's something divine there. There's something of heaven there. Then Jesus gives us a big old kick in the gut. Can you throw the next line up for me, Mike? Then he'll turn to the goats. These are the ones on the other side and say, get out, you worthless goats. You're good for nothing but the fires of hell. By the way, this is a lot of where the language of hell comes from, from this kind of mythical story, but whatever. You over there suck. Now, in the first conception of God was always, if you do something wrong, I'm going to send you to hell. If you like the wrong kind of gender, if you smoke, if you drink, if you have sex before you're married, hell with you. What's going on here? Keep going, Mike. Why did I want to send you to hell? Because I was hungry and you gave me no meal. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was in need and you didn't give a rip. I was the guy whose car was on the front of his house with a dead battery and you cared about church more than me. I was the person who needed the Baptist expression of Christianity. But because of the gender I identify with, you kicked me out. Then he says this. This is so human. I love these stories from the Bible because it's just me. But, but master, we would have fed you if we would have seen it was you. Because <laughs> you're important. If we would have fed you, if I would have seen you in prison, I would have done something because you could have done something for me. I know that. You're the king. If we'd have known. Can you throw the next line up for me, Mike? Whatever you failed to do for one of these to someone who was being overlooked or ignored to the least of me, that was me. You failed to do it to me. Next line for me. 
then these goats will be sent. And I'm going to paraphrase this. This isn't the language they use, but it's the one that makes sense to us. Then I'm going to send them to hell. Our first conception of God that helps us create empathy for people says, if we allow certain behavior in our community, we risk going to hell. If we behave a certain way, we risk going to hell. Jesus comes over here with a total mic drop, right? Like, he's just like, boom. Yeah, don't care about that crap. Conception of God he's playing with here says, when you love the people around you, that's the stuff of heaven. In our language, when you feel the sense of we, you can find transcendence there. Not I, not them, not I against them, not the decidedly jazz couple where she is just ripping into him and he can say nothing right. Like, that fight's going on forever. No, we. And in the we, in the we of the people we love and are around, the people we will never see, the people on the side of the road, the people across the world, the we sense where their needs and my needs come into together and play together and we value both of them, that's where transcendence comes. You see, I, there's transcendence in service of I. I get it. If I'm laying in the hospital with a you know, broken leg or a heart attack, oh, I'm praying in service of I. Hells yeah, I'm praying in service of I. There's a conception of God that works there, but there's a dark side to it, right? Where transcendence is only ever in service of I. The spiritual journey becomes, but what about me? Screw everyone else. What about me? Can you feel in our kind of weaker moments the pull there? Can you see it in people around you, people in the news? I look at Westboro Baptist, which is this famous community that identifies as Christian and treats people in a way that I just find horrific. They're the one protesting people's funerals. Because they believe, I think, they believe that this is going to get them into heaven and keep them out of hell. There's no sense of the people around them. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was hungry and you fed me. I was in prison and you visited me. There's none of that there. All there is is what's in it for me and how do I get to heaven? How do I stay out of hell? So today, the cautionary tale is this. Mike, can you throw up the the image once more for me? Transcendence can be found anywhere. You'll have moments where you find it through the eye. You'll be in a beautiful park by yourself, and suddenly the light will just shine through, and you'll just have this moment where you just feel full. On top of mountains, I always find, I always feel so small. There's something that sparks something so transcendent in me when I feel that smallness. There's nothing wrong with finding transcendence through the eye. But I think when transcendence is in service of I, 
I think there's a dark side to that. But understanding that helps me look at my neighbor and go, oh, that's why you're doing that. Of course you wouldn't boost your neighbor. Of course you wouldn't treat them that way. Of course you'd kick those people out. I don't agree with it. But I understand it. I understand the fear. Can you have empathy for those people in your life? This is a three-part message. started last week where we figured out what is win-win, what does we look like in the physical realm? It's couples saying, hey, if I had it all my own way, and if you had it all your own way, and how do we get as much of both of that as we can? It's people you'll never see going, that person needs something from me. I can give something and that would be good for me. How do I do this? bringing the most amount of good in the physical realm we can. That's the we. Today I tried to say, look, there's a dark side to not going through the we because you can literally live out your spiritual journey and treat people around you horrifically. You can be a goat. I saw you were hungry. Don't care. Saw you were thirsty. Don't care. That's the cautionary tale, but it also is the foundation of empathy. When people are living with that kind of conception of God, I understand now why they do what they do. I don't agree with it, but I don't want to judge them either. I understand it. But we're on a path to something different. And we're going to finish it off next week by exploring. We start off with this kind of conception of we, and by the way, you got to figure this out in the physical realm first. If you're crap here, you're going to be crap in the next stage. It's kind of like this is the foundation of the work you have to do. We're going to start to transcend, find transcendence through this conception of we. I was thirsty and you fed, earth gave me something to drink. I was hungry. This conception of God, of transcendence, opens you up to everyone in love. It's not driven by fear. There's not this candle that you're constantly walking with your hand over going, oh, if I do this, it's open-hearted. It looks at the world not just as I against them and what do I need to do? It says, how do we come together? How do we love each other? When French Church says, We exist to make the world around us a little bit better. Jeff talked about it today. It's not just me and screw everyone else. That's not what we're talking about here. The world around you. Just take a second. Look at the person next to you. Look at the person on the other side of you. If you're driving in your car, look at that person who just cut you off. What are you going to do? That's the journey we're on. Watch the desire for transcendence and service of the eye. Watch that fear journey. It can go to a dark, dark place. And when you see someone respond out of that fear, I hope today you can have some empathy and go, I, I don't agree, but I understand where this is coming from. And I love you. That's the journey we're on today. Take a deep breath.
may we strive for something more than a spiritual journey of fear. May we strive for a journey based in love. Amen. Have a great week, everyone. See you next week.